Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. This is Ryan. Just jumping in real quick before we get to today's interview with Stephanie Quick, which you're going to love. I have to let you know I have a new podcast that I've launched. This one's not going away. Don't you worry about that. But this new podcast is called This Is Where the Magic Happens with my buddy Angela Lovell, who you may remember from a previous interview we did here. That was the origins of this new podcast. If you love all witchy stuff, mystical, supernatural, and we will be doing paranormal talk there as well because, you know, I'm involved. So that's just going to be you know, what I'm bringing to it. But Angela is a super witch. She's wonderful. She's a writer. She's very funny. We have a great rapport. I think you're really going to love it. She's got some insane stories, like insane in a good way. Now, it's a, it's, it's a lot of magic talk. So if you're, if you're interested in magic, uh, if you already practice magic, maybe you're far along on the magic trail, or maybe you're someone like me who's kind of new to it, or maybe you don't really know anything about it. We're having like great conversations that I think, I believe, are accessible to everyone, regardless of where you are on that trail. And then, you know, the conversation goes into all kinds of things. She's had so many paranormal, supernatural, mystical experiences in her life. We'll also talk about things that have been happening in my life, because I'm going to tell you what, the universe has been going bonkers um for me lately uh you know sometimes good and sometimes bad I, i'll have to tell you all about it um but tune into this is where the magic happens it's available on stitcher on spotify on soundcloud still waiting for the review process on itunes it's taking longer than i anticipated so uh, my apologies not on itunes yet if you listen to apple podcasts this is where the magic happens. Check it out. The first interview is a two-parter with our shaman, Sarah Goff, who's amazing. And then all the episodes after that, for the most part, are, are just Angela and I hanging out, chatting about all things magical. So if you need some more magic in your life, we want you to know this shit is real. So check out This Is Where the Magic Happens. Thanks for listening. Now let's get to me and Paranormal You, shall we? Hello, you're listening to me and Paranormal You with your host, Ryan Singer. Because it's more fun to believe. Hey everybody, this is uh, Ryan Singer. I'm very excited to be welcoming my guest, uh, Stephanie Quick, today. Um, who, I'm trying to remember when... Well, I, I do know, like, specifically there's a, a great article on her... I guess her website, her blog about the like the paranormal or the connections between different paranormal phenomena 
uh, specifically in regards to breaking down the Claudia Ackley interview that um, had come out uh, towards the end of last year, so at the end of 2018. And some of the, like a lot of the similarities that people experience in regards to paranormal phenomena across the board. And it really, you know, started getting my mind like churning. And then you also have uh, uh, some writing on there about synchronicity. So, you know, maybe we'll get into that today because that seems to be coming up a bunch for me lately as well. Um, But yeah, so I'm excited to talk about all kinds of stuff and gnomes and lost time. So thanks for thanks for hanging out today. Oh, thanks for asking me. It's really uh, it's exciting that um, you've actually uh, read the stuff I've been on my blog. I've, I've been interested in the paranormal and uh, mysticism since I was very young. I'm in my mid-50s now, and I'm basically as, as far back as I can remember, and I had a big near-death experience when I was 21, so I got even more into it. But the last year, I've been really trying to uh, write down some of the major experiences and stuff. And so I started that blog. But it's really uh, encouraging to have people, you know, read it and find it interesting. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Uh, now, this is something I didn't know about. Let's let's go right into, if we can, the near-death experience. Uh, let's sure. kind of start with that, if you're, if you're comfortable chatting about it. Oh, sure. Um, well, let's see. So uh, I was more or less normal if well, a little bit of an introvert <laughs> science and obsessed with there was this book that came from you know those scholastic books that they used to sell you in school oh yeah like from like the catalog thing and exactly yeah there's this one called strangely enough and i got it when i was in elementary school and I started reading it and it's a great book it's just all these strange experiences and And uh, from like flying saucer cigars to the Jersey Devil to uh, devil footprints in the snow in New England across miles one night and ghosts and all type of crazy stuff. So I was always very interested in that. Um, When I was 15, I ended up getting really sick really quickly. And um, I missed about a year. I barely graduated from high school, actually, because I missed so much school. Um, And it was like this weird kind of like asthma bronchitis thing that was very difficult to budge. So I got better, went off to college, but then I became ill again when I was about 21. And uh, it was even worse this time. So I ended up in the hospital on like intravenous steroids. They basically give you as much as they can without killing you. Um, And it still wasn't budging. I was just getting worse and worse. And so they decided to do this procedure where they put a, called a bronchoscope. It's um, this flexible tube. It has a laser in it. You can take biopsies, you can look down there, you can pour stuff down. So they put it down and they spray lidocaine on your lungs like when, um, just like when you're numbed up at the dentist. But um, I had no parathyroids because I have an extensive medical history. So anyway, I ended up going into seizures for 20 minutes as they were doing this procedure to try and calm down this asthma thing. So... I just remember it was a very strange experience because they put this bronchoscope up your nose and it goes down into your lungs and it has a laser at the end. So you can see that down in your chest, like where you would imagine your heart chakra, you would have this, you could see this uh, red light shining through because the laser's so bright through, from your own chest. And then uh, you have the doctors right there with you and they keep pouring the stuff down like a healing liquid from your head down into your chest and you're breathing it in and you're timing your breathing to go with this healing liquid. And then the doctor is like nose to nose with you. 
anyway, so it ended up being that, you know, of course I was um, having a cocaine overdose, I guess would be one way to put it. But at the same time, it's like a med- it actually it really echoes the Chen Rizhi meditation, as I found out years later, in Tibetan Buddhism, right? Where you imagine this healing liquid coming down from your head into your chest and this glowing jewel and all this type of stuff, and you're thinking about other people. Anyway, so um, all of a sudden, you know, things got kind of fuzzy, and I was losing my sense of a separate self. And then suddenly I'm in this... Um, well, the, the bardo, I don't know. The best way I can describe it, it looked just, it was very loud. And it just looked like kind of a, a, a very pale night sky. just kind of black with little like kind of stars and stuff, but they were moving. And just to be uh, clear mm-hmm. real quick, I think yeah. just for people listening, if I'm not mistaken, the bardo is kind of, is, is this from like the Tibetan like space between? Exactly. Lives? Yeah. Okay. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly that. And uh, they talk about it being very loud, and it was so loud. It was, I, it was just completely overwhelming. And I was out of my body, but it, instead of like floating up at the ceiling, it's just like you're in this vast, limitless, infinite space that at the same time is like completely overcrowded with consciousness and energy. But at the same time, everything's very, you know, it's like like they talk about in these in between realms where everything is true all at once and you lose, you know, three dimensionality, the sense of time, um, breathing, uh, the, I, you know, the, the fact that we're, uh, chemical being, I mean, it's just like everything just goes away. So it was completely terrifying. I tell people about this. I don't know if they believe me, but the only thing that I've come across that reminds me of that moment, um, was there was a really bad tornado in Joplin a few years ago, and these people went through it in like a beer refrigerator inside a gas station. And uh, they went, the tornado went right over, and it just it had like this huge natural force, and just screaming people and praying, and it was kind of like that. Anyway, so I was in this space, and then I noticed, or someone made me notice, it was like a huge, they were very big, being and it felt like more than one consciousness put together into one and they didn't intrude on me at all but they made themselves very apparent and it was kind of like do you want us to give you our viewpoint kind of idea and i was like <laughs> i was like yes and then it was just all these huge um teachings coming across and at the same time I was having this feeling of kind of like falling through different dimensions like I would be kind of like falling and then looking up and it was almost like you started out really big and then you get really small and then burst into another huge dimension again it's like this fractal idea that is very common in mystical mystical experiences so they gave me a bunch of teachings are you familiar with Robert Monroe the out-of-body guy at all yes a little bit so he talks about, uh, ro- he has all these acronyms for things that just crack me up. Because he, he has the Monroe ro- Institute, correct? Exactly, yes. Yeah, where they can train you up on uh, going out of the body and helping people transition uh, who are uh, dead and maybe hanging around longer than they might want to, that type of thing. Um, so anyway, he talks about, he calls it a rote, and the idea is that it's like an energy ball that has all this information in there, and you can receive it and then kind of unroll it at your leisure. And I received a lot of things like that, but I also got some kind of specific practices 
um, like mindfulness, a meditation, and then a little bit of uh, information about chakras, especially the root chakra and how I should be walking to strengthen that chakra. And uh, how if I wanted to basically, uh, you know, because when you're very ill for a long time, it's you don't really want to be in your body because it's so horrible <laughs> to, to find a point on it. <laughs> but if you want to get better, you have to know what's going on with your body. So they were basically impressing this upon me. And then also that just the idea that every everything everywhere is just this, that everything is saturated with this consciousness undifferentiated and then kind of um, sparking off into individual consciousnesses and stuff. And they were impressing on me the, the whole idea of uh, the, like the Buddhist idea of compassion that we're really all intimately, intimately related and that, um, you know, you can find a way to relate to other beings in this way that will help you to have a, uh, I don't want to say more profound knowledge of this, you know, truth of our interrelatedness. So anyway, that was that's probably the basic idea. There's something fascinating about people who go through a near-death experience that mm -hmm. they always, I mean, at least seemingly, I mean, I haven't met anybody who's had a near-death experience that came out the other side the same person they were exactly. when, you know, before they had it. Yep. The idea of being gifted or having access to additional information that really expands thinking and like just the way they view existence in general seems mm -hmm. to be like a major theme and it, and it makes sense why you know there's these research labs and you know that might be a little more you know uh, off the beaten path as we'll say with mm -hmm. scientists who are you know deeply fascinated and have been for you know, hundreds of years uh, when people go through. That's why I think I loved the television show, uh, the OA, so much. And uh, I think people, I think some people listening probably watched it. I just wouldn't shut up about it when it first came out, like two <laughs> years ago. Uh -huh. It's on Netflix, and it's it's essentially it's about a study of near death experience. <laughs> and you know, without giving away the spoiler, there's a doctor who is obsessed with near-death experience and so finds mm -hmm. people to do it's it's almost what was that movie back in like the early 90s or late 80s like flatliners i don't i never saw that movie and Keeper i don't really Sutherland. watch tv yeah 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 i, I mean, know the one you're talking about yeah so that was um if i'm not mistaken that's all about like you know people dying for very short periods of time to see like what happens and they'll you know yeah. so they could talk about it afterward but so there is like some kind of I don't want to say a cheat code, but, you know, for anybody who's into video games, it, I guess you could kind of think of it that way. You get there and you get this ball of knowledge that you said you could just unravel at your leisure. There, mm -hmm. So is this, do we, do you think this is some kind of extra plug-in now that you have to, like, collective consciousness? Or what's going on here? Me? Well, okay, here's my theory. No, okay, first of all, this happened, like, what about over 35 years ago? And when you talk about people not being the same person and the obsession, I mean, to me, I've spoken with a number of people who've had near-death experiences. And what's interesting to me is a lot of them, they don't, the, the experiences don't match the kind of Oprah version of a near-death experience. So they'll think, well, I had this experience, but it's not like a near-death experience, but it, it really is. But the, it's this continuing obsession with the experience. I mean, it's like I still think about this every day. It's 35 years now. 
And now I've forgotten your question. Well, I was just wondering, like... Oh, me, the extra plug-in thing. Yeah, yeah. the extra plug-in. Kind of like when before maybe you were, you know, had... You know those, like, stereo cords that are red and white? <laughs> yes. And, like, one's a left speaker and one's a right speaker? Uh-huh. Like, maybe before you had, like, the left speaker plugged in. But mm-hmm. then you go through this near-death experience, and now when it comes to being able to hear the universe or understand it, now you've got both... Now you've got the left and the right plugged in. And so now you've got, like, surround sound almost <laughs> with, with, like, understanding the universe. <laughs> An extra bass. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, it's interesting. Now, I like, uh, there's this lady called PMH Atwater. She's written a lot about near-death experiences and also the after effects. And one of the things that she's found, and I found in my own case, this is very true, is that you get this huge influx of new information, but it's very difficult for people to convey it for years afterwards because you're still trying to process this information. How does it work with your own life? So the thing that I think is probably, I wouldn't agree with in your metaphor is that, you know, you just plug it in and then you have this perfect sound. It's like, no, you get access to this information. And in my own experience, what I would say, how it feels to me is that, um, that moment, that time period when I when I was going under and had that near-death experience, you notice it has that, uh, as I said, I was almost like performing a Chen Rizhi meditation. And even though I didn't have any idea about that and barely knew about Tibetan Buddhism at that time, this like a information signal that is sent out to the universe that draws certain energies and entities or intelligences would be the best word for it. So I would say that I got a connection with these intelligences and um, had certain channels opened up, but it takes years to really be able to use that effectively. Although, you know, anyone who is interested in pursuing these type of practices, you can, you can make progress and gain insight, you know, from very, you know, just doing bit by bit over the years, but I don't think it's like you automatically have this greater understanding of stuff that, that can be very useful because it just kind of like completely blows you away and you got to put yourself back together in a way where you can communicate with other people or beings to really be able to, um, use this knowledge effectively, but it's like the universe drops off like a bunch of crates of, of like manuals and books and things like right at your doorstep all at once. Like you see in those like movies with lawyers who have to go through like (laughs) 20 years of case files. So it's like the knowledge is all there maybe, Mm -hmm. but you have to like go through it. You have to process it. You have to actually do the work and read through each individual thing. So, so, so it seems like maybe like you said, like you didn't, you weren't given that immediate like awareness, like, oh, now everything makes sense. Now I've got all this extra knowledge as I much as... I did have that awareness, but here's the here's the thing. You're making it sound a lot more intellectual than it is. <laughs> <laughs> because as you know, the, I mean, you can know all this stuff. Oh, yeah, I know intellectually that we're all one and I should be compassionate and blah, blah, blah. And then someone cuts in front of you in the freeway and you're flipping them the double bird and swearing at them and honking the horn, right? Yeah, yeah, it's one thing to intellectually believe something; it's another thing to live it. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. I mean, I'll I'll have these like moments where, like, I'll leave like a guided meditation that I go do, and 
I'll be like, okay, I'm I'm like super zen out. I'm I'm like everything's connected. I've got my energy mm-hmm. bubble. Nothing comes in but love. Nothing goes out but love. And then somebody will cut me off, and I'll like tail them on the freeway for like thirty <laughs> seconds. I'm like, what am I doing? Like I went from like believing in the unity of love and mankind to like I will run this son of a bitch <laughs> off the road. And it's like it's like the switch is that quick sometimes. But um it's yep. like it's almost like a reminder, like, oh, you think you're you think you're doing real well? How about how about this? You know, <laughs> like these tests that are thrown at us immediately when we get a little too cocksure of ourselves. Um well, it's funny that you talk about because one of the another one of the things that because um, it was weird because before I had that experience, I was I had I had actually been uh, fairly well trained in science, so I, I knew about how to figure things out. And the whole idea that you could just know a bunch of stuff like all of a sudden that way just shock. I mean, it was like ontological shock for sure. But I was thinking, well, if they say that we're supposed to all be connected and there's supposed to be this consciousness and heart between all of us, you know, how would that, how would I work with this? How would I try and figure out if this is true? So I came up with the idea of, um, you know, just trying to be more compassionate to people. But what I started out with is just like people, like when you go to the uh, drugstore a few towns over and you're dealing with the clerk that you're never going to see again, right? Just try and make it a pleasant interaction with them, right? People that it doesn't matter about. Yeah, when yeah. You get, when you get better, then, you know, maybe like the people that work at the library that you see a couple times a month, you know, and just kind of bring it closer in. Because it's always hardest with the people that you're right next to and intimate with because you're all processing each other's crap all the time, right? So. Yeah, you're so, com- you could be more comfortable around those people. So like your guard is down in a certain way. Yeah. To, to where like, yeah, that, that is definitely able to, to happen a lot more often. Than... So you practice it there until you feel more confident with people that you're closer with and kind of move in gradually. Well, this so, like the idea of having a near death experience that profoundly changes a person, you know, and setting them essentially kind of whether it's quickly or, you know, over a long period of time onto a, a different path that mm-hmm. that their life may not have taken otherwise there's it's interesting that it's just in the last year that you've started kind of really putting this all down uh mm-hmm. at least like in writing so it, has it been up up until that has it just been like consuming books reading about these things and you know staying fascinated with it um but but just kind of like getting to a like I don't want to say like a boiling point where like finally you're like okay I have to I have to put these bubbles out into the world like what what was the what was the thing that happened for you to like I got to put this down Well let's see I think that well I is it okay if I mention other podcasts Of course it is <laughs> So um over, over. <laughs> I just think that's funny. no. Of course it is. I mean, because I, you know, I, know like, I, I do. Well, I do I enjoy many weird. other podcasts as well myself. <laughs> so yeah. So um, what was I going to say? So uh, from the time that that experience happened, you know, I, I did a lot of different type of practices, um, 
I lived in a Tibetan Buddhist meditation center for a while. I was studying with this uh, lady who's a big teacher. She's from South Africa, but living in uh, New Mexico now, Leslie Temple Thurston. Um, I was dating this lady who uh, ran a sweat lodge every month for a while. I uh, did Kundalini yoga, regular yoga. I did a lot of mindfulness meditation. And then over the last, I don't know, about 15 years ago, I think, I started really getting into synchronicities and kind of precipitating synchronicities. Um, anyway, and then uh, the la over the last few years, I got more involved in some online kind of paranormally oriented groups. And I was in a Facebook group um, for uh, Greg Bishop's show, Radio Mysterioso. Okay. Do you know that one? Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Um, so this was, I guess it was back in 2015. And uh, there was a new guy came into the group, and he was actually kind of probably younger than 40, which is, you know, kind of amazing that anyone's getting into the paranormal who doesn't, like, isn't a member of AARP at this point, because it's <laughs> trending older. So I was very excited because he had a lot of energy and a lot of ideas and some of the people in the group were a little groupy, so I was trying to keep, you know, him engaged. Anyway, so he came up with this idea, and I, we hadn't really, he hadn't really, we hadn't really known each other that long, but he said, you know, I have this idea. We could communicate solely over electronic media, and um, at that time, Greg was having a show that would be live on Sunday nights from the, he broadcast from a pirate radio studio. So he says when, you know, and it would be like maybe every other week or sometimes three times in a month, depending on his schedule. So I said, what we can do is we can choose a target word and, you know, try and, you know, get it going for whatever uh, live show is coming up next. And then actually Steve used to uh, work. He had uh, transcription skills. So he listened to the live show and see if we were able to produce any synchronicities on the show. So we did that for, I don't know, like eight or nine months and we didn't tell anyone else at all like I didn't even tell my husband about we were doing this experiment and we got some pretty good hits um, on that so probably the biggest hit that we have I think the one that made the biggest impression on Greg was he's in this studio and we had chosen the target word of heat and so you can listen to the show and he's going along all of a sudden Greg's like what what's going on I and it turned out that he he had parked it out front and the car next to his had caught on fire during the show so um it was a pretty good synchronicity for that oh, wow. anyway. so, so so you guys blew up this guy's car uh it sounds like <laughs> uh, no, just... <laughs> it's terrible. well the terrible thing is that when my husband found out about this he's like why would you be trying to blow up some guy's car and i'm thinking i'm sitting there thinking okay now if i told you okay with the power of my mind I'm going to hundreds of miles from here in the future, set some guy's car on fire. You say I was just nuts. But anyway, so you yeah, can never. Yeah, for sure. There's, um, what's the, I, I want to talk about the idea of precipitating synchronicities. And mm -hmm. I mean, because you've written about it. I mean, well, and if you're, you can go to uh, stephaniequick.home.blog and you can, you can check out, you know, the various writings that, that we're talking about. Like that was, you know, like the beginning of this question, like, putting this down actually on paper, quote unquote, uh, on the internet, but mm -hmm. precipitating synchronicities and the power of synchronicities. The, the interesting part about 
synchronicities is how deep the, the concept is. I, I think a lot of people might just think, oh, a synchronicity. Like I was thinking about Tom and then Tom called. That um, would be fun, yeah. But, um, but it can go, but when it comes to like the study of like the field of synchronicities, I, mm. I mean, I don't, I don't even think I realized how deep it goes. It can really, it can uh, really give you an ontological crisis. Um, it's interesting, and it kind of weaves in and out. That's, I've watched a little bit of that Hellier uh, series that's out now, and the thing that I like about that is that they're talking about how these things all kind of weave together. Um, so what got me interested in writing up some of these things was, oh, so I was talking to some people in this uh, Facebook Radio Mysterioso group, and um, I forget how it came about, but anyway, uh, I ended up thinking it, it brought to mind an uh, incident I had. This was probably about 15 years ago. This is when I really started the, my first my first big synchronicity experiment. Oh boy! So at that time, uh, <laughs> I developed a really bad problem with my leg from all these steroids and everything that I've had, so all my physical problems, where it, I. It was in a lot of pain. I could barely walk. I mean, I'd have to take like a couple Vicodins, 45 minutes later, go on a walk and come back. And that would be it for the day. I mean, I couldn't go grocery shopping without just being like crying with pain afterwards. It was really horrible. And it, they were having a horrible time trying to figure out what was going on with me. And I'm starting to get labeled, I'm sure, as like a narcotic seeker or something. Because, you know, you keep asking for pain relief, but there's nothing wrong with you. Um Anyway, so it was this big, and I had only been married a few years that, you know, I was young at that time. And, um, you know, so it was pretty a bad situation for me. I mean, I couldn't work. I could barely keep up with stuff at the house. So I had, was reading this book on synchronicity, and I haven't been able to find it since. It was from the library. It was from like the 70s. And he was talking about... Uh, all different aspects of synchronicity. It's saying that the best way to uh, get more synchronicities happening is to pay attention to synchronicities or anything that might remotely be kind of like a synchronicity, reading about synchronicities, all this stuff. And I thought, well, hmm. And he was talking about how it, it uh, tends to be associated with other paranormal events as well. Now, in the past, whenever I'd been like really sick for a long time and I would start to finally have things turn around, there would be something like the near-death experience or some other type of mystical, numinous experience that would usually be at the crisis point. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not anywhere near dying, but I could really use that type of a break in this whole cycle, and I really needed a diagnosis badly. So I thought, well, I'm going to go see, I had an appointment to see this neurologist in a month's time when I was reading this book, and I thought, well, let me just see if I can drum up some synchronicities and see if I get that happening and maybe it'll help kind of open the door somehow. So I decided to just obsess about synchronicities for a month and then see what happened. So I had some good ones. Then it comes the day of this appointment when I'm going to see this doctor. So I go on my morning walk. As I'm coming back to my house, I'm kind of coming up the, uh, I'm at the bottom of this hill and you can look up towards the crest. And I see coming towards me this lady who's a neighbor. She walks a lot. It's like there was like, I don't know, seven people that actually walked out there. So we all knew each other. <laughs> and she was there. I saw her coming towards me and her little dog, Biscuit, who I really loved. I, I'd always pet him and stuff. And then a new dog with her. I'm like, wow. 
And then I got distracted for a moment, looked back, and I saw her and the new dog. But instead of Biscuit, there was like this white translucent cube. And then they all disappeared. And I was like, well, that's strange. And um, then within like, I don't know, probably about 20, 35 seconds, she came over the crest of the hill with a new dog because Biscuit, it turned out, had died and she got this new dog. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That afternoon, I went to the neurologist and he finally diagnosed what my problem was. So so now you're having like, you're having visual, you're having visual, like, I I don't even know the right word for it, like a visual premonition or a hallucination or a hallucination of like what's about to happen a hallucination <laughs> I like so, that. It's like you're you're quite literally seeing the future yeah uh, in this situation in a weird way yeah in a yeah, very and yeah. Also, yeah i guess there's something called a vardogar and usually it's the type of thing where um let's say you're at home and you're waiting for your dad or your spouse or whatever to come home about the time they usually you know, you say, oh you know you hear the car drive up and the door slam but then you look no one's there and then 10 minutes later you hear the same thing but they've actually come it's kind of like right before but yeah, that, yeah it's, and- it's almost like some kind of like wrinkle in time or like there's a like you skip ahead just a little bit somehow on mm-hmm. the uh, on the linear line yeah uh, but then why would that be associated with me getting a diagnosis i mean it's like on a and makes no rational sense from a you know a mechanistic Newtonian universe. Yeah, I but. don't, I don't, I, and I don't know if there is some kind of connection to the obsession or obsessing about synchronicities, uh, like you had mentioned, to mm-hmm. to see them more, and then you know maybe simply by associating one thing with another in our mind therefore creates the relationship between the two and that that is that's all it takes maybe i think i don't know i think that a lot of it comes down to intention and attention it's like what you are intending to do and i think you know carlos castaneda oh yeah yeah (laughs) i was thinking i was like you ever heard of this guy uh obama Only one of the more famous, yeah, okay. So you may have heard of him, Carlos Castaneda. So he would talk, he would talk, he would talk about intention. And it's, it's something that goes beyond just like what you're planning to do or thinking to do. It's kind of like those things that you find yourself doing no matter what, I think. But you can also, it can also be more willful too, but it goes beyond just kind of the surface like, oh, I'm going to go uh, hit the grocery store, the drug store, and pick up the dry cleaning. You know, it's like a whole different level than that. Yeah, like but you anyway. said, like earlier, like it, like you could be, you know, these things that you have to be doing anyway, but then you can be layering them down, um, mm-hmm. you know, with like, well, I'm going to, like what you mentioned earlier, be nice to this clerk who, or, you know, try to have a really nice experience with this clerk who I may never see again. Um, mm-hmm. So that's another layer to going to like the CVS or the Walgreens or whatever. Um, yeah. And then we yeah. can just keep layering from there depending on, you know, what. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You know what, like, the, the plan is, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And both, like, they say, ah, what's this? I read a lot of a Dion Fortune. And she talks about in psychic self-defense, she talks about ritual uh, cleansing. And she says, you know, you can take a bath just to get the stank off or you can have a, a bath with the intention of cleansing, you know, your energy body and your your uh, heart, all those things, too. And um, so I think that intention goes to it, but also attention. What you pay attention to is going to affect you and it's going to affect what happens to you in the future i think yeah for sure no doubt about it the you know because it's quite literally what you're paying attention to is your experience of of life mm-hmm. and you know you can we yeah. can ignore we can you know ignore things that are right in front of us um, mm-hmm. and we can have essentially a, a different like like sometimes I, f- I, f- I wonder like about parallel realities and, mm-hmm. you know it's not so much that it's another dimension necessarily as much as much as it is I'm just paying attention to different things and and like in that in this life I'm paying attention to or I'm reading these books and then in mm-hmm. this other life I'm paying attention to something else and reading these other books and it's something as simple as that that completely changes the course of one's existence yeah it's I do a lot of uh, bird watching I like to spend time outdoors and stuff and when people talk about parallel existences and stuff like that I I think about just you know you go outside and we have hummingbirds out the front here and just you know, what life is going to be like for them as opposed to us, just, you know, the whole idea of time, they're much more three-dimensional, they move completely differently, they're seeing and aware of completely different things in the environment than we are. It's always fascinating to me when you go out and um, are bird watching, especially about times like when the the males are setting up territories or something where you kind of get a real different feeling of the landscape from how uh, these various creatures are interacting in it than um, how we move through it as human beings. So, uh, and like you say, a lot of that is attention and, um, you know, what, what your senses are attuned to your culture, all those things. So, yeah, yeah. there's, there's like so much to, to learn that it's, you know, it'd be impossible to learn at all. But like when it comes to just trying to even understand like existence, like in a basic way but i do wonder um like when it comes to like all these different experiences that you've had and Uh like also you know what you've been paying attention to Mm -hmm. um there's there's like a specific story about gnomes and lost time that i do want to make sure we touch on before i forget um Mm -hmm. because 
I'm paying a lot of attention to gnomes and, and like <laughs> trolls right now for various uh-huh. reasons. Um, uh-huh. And it seems to be for the last few weeks um, kind of like really stuck in my crawl. So I, I really feel like uh-huh. we have to talk about this. Um, okay. So walk me through your experience uh, with the gnome or with the gnomes or a gnome or which was or was it multiple gnomes? Well, it was just this one short, really short, hairy guy. So, um, like I said, I like to do a lot of walking and this is, I don't know, I was probably in my mid twenties and I was living in Albany in the East Bay. And there was, um, a walk that I would do just about every day. And, um, so I had walk. I would kind of walk up from the flats in Albany, and then you kind of walk up the hills into the, you know, to the east, and then you come back down. So I was coming back down, and um, I was on this one uh, block of uh, Washington Avenue, and uh, behind me, towards the hills, like probably uh, two or three blocks, there's a Episcopal church that has big. Uh, Bells. What, what are they called? The big bells in church? Like church bells? That's <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Vocabulary here. So, <laughs> I yeah. think they're just, I think that's, I think they're just called church bells, right? I think so. Oh, God. Anyway. <laughs> so, okay. So I'm walking and it was, uh, there was a sun around, which will become significant later. And as I'm walking, I become aware of a couple of different things within the space of maybe a minute to half a minute. I see that there is a really short, really hairy guy kind of in front of me, like about two or three houses down. He's very still. And when I look back on it, I want to almost say that he was maybe a couple to a few inches off the ground. And then about mm, not quite to my side, but a little bit behind, there was a, a lady who I could see out of my peripheral vision on the other side of the street. She's dressed maybe a little bit of kind of 1940s style with like a full skirt. If you ever read uh, the Mothman prophecies and they talk about the lady and the, the weird lady in the library, kind of like that type of feel. And then someone from the uh, church bells start going off. And then I hear someone say from my left side, what time is it? And then immediately, it's about probably about 40 minutes later. None of those people are around. The ringing sound that usually happens after you hear something like a church bell is not there anymore. And and I just kept walking. But I'm, immediately, I knew that I had lost time. Um, and looking back on it, I'm pretty sure that what, because I, like I said, I probably walked that stretch of road at least a thousand times by then. I walked it hundreds of times since then. And, uh, because it wasn't foggy, there were, you could see light. I'm pretty sure it's the, uh, movement of the shadows is what clued me into that feeling of that amount of time. But the weird thing is, I mean, that's really, I don't really have too much more to say about it because I mean, it is, it's just like missing time. And it's just, I knew that it happened right away, but it just, I have no access to whatever may have happened in the meantime. I will say that, um, 
that spot is very near uh, where a couple years later, there's a lady who had a house that was about three blocks from there. And her parents lived around the corner from her. Now, that lady ended up a couple years later meeting my dad, and she's been my bonus mom for the last, uh, probably getting close to over 25, 30 years now. So that was very close to there. Um, and at that time that that experience happened, I would see a man, and it was during a time when I have been very ill and was trying to get my strength back which is very difficult walking when you're that weak. But I would see this guy and he was very old and he had obviously had a stroke. He could barely use his left side, but he used a cane. He was out there every day and we always smiled and stuff. He was really nice. And it was um, actually, uh, it was um, Doris, my dad's wife's um, father, who uh, of course I met and then he became my grandfather when they married. And also that one spot where I was, where that missing time happened, Half a block from there is where it turned out later, um, this was, I don't know, when I was in my late 30s, I worked for a software company, and um, it was a pretty toxic environment, a lot of bullshit and stupidity, but um, my boss, I was very close to her, especially when she was pregnant, and uh, she was pregnant, uh, she was pregnant about nine months, can I say anything more stupid? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, wait, wait. What are you judging yourself on here? That she was pregnant about nine months. Yeah. <laughs> so she was ready to pop, is what you're saying. Yeah. No, you know what I was actually saying was that I was letting you know that the, her pregnancy took place over nine months. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I thought you were like letting us know like how far along she was. Okay, so she was pregnant like nine months, like you know for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Anyway, so she, so anyway, so it was such a horrible place that I ended up kind of like running interference for her quite a bit when she was pregnant because she had some complications, but she had a beautiful baby daughter. And when I went to her house afterwards, which I had no idea where she was living, when I went to her house afterwards to meet her and her daughter, that house was ha like half a block from where this experience had happened. So I, it's one of those things where, Again, why would you like have these like strange entities and then have missing time? But it's at this confluence of this place where, you know, you're going to be having these relationships, you know, intense relationships with people afterwards. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can't, I can't help but like just feel the world, uh, the word um, personal um, exactly. as you're as you're talking about this. So to me, like a paranormal experience, um, there's a very personal tie to it that I yes. don't I don't think always translates to like a widespread like this is the meaning for the world. This is what this paranormal thing means, uh, everyone, <laughs> when it's when it's actually a very personal experience. And we talk about liminality or we haven't mm -hmm. spoken about it or liminal mm -hmm. events that you've written about. Um, well, there's a couple of them that are, that are jumping out, uh, mm -hmm. in this, in this general, like, um, this general area here, when you're talking mm -hmm. about birth, you're talking about, uh, marriage. Um, mm -hmm. do you want to, do you think there's a, like a, a big tie in there? Well, George P. George P. Hansen, 
our Lord and Savior. I'm such a big fan of his. I just hope that all I, my, my big motivation when I'm uh, dealing with anything having to do with uh, George Hansen is I just don't want him to feel like he has to get a restraining order against me, basically. <laughs> but anyway, he has written a book called The Trickster and the Paranormal. And uh, it's an excellent book. He also has appeared on a number of podcasts. He's been on uh, Radio Mysterioso and some other ones talking about his ideas. And he, I think he does a pretty good, uh, uh, has a pretty good approach about and is uh, good at explaining these various concepts because they're kind of, uh, well, they come from a lot of like uh, structural anthropology and other kind of more uh, rarefied topics. But um, what he is getting at is the whole idea of the trickster um, as a personification of a bunch of um, themes and states of consciousness and uh, things that go on. that are kind of all conglomerated together. Um, and one of the things that he talked and how the trickster appears to be very intimately associated with the paranormal. Now, trickster, that would be like Coyote, Hermes, a lot of these characters that you find in myth uh, across the world. Um, I was thinking of the trickster and uh, Hanson's theories when you were talking about Elaine and uh, Elaine, Ed and Lorraine Warren on your show a while back. And the whole idea of... Um, why do people falsify things? Why do hoaxes happen? Uh, especially in the paranormal, like you say, it just makes it just muddies the waters and makes things a lot worse. Well, Hansen's theory gets at this. He thinks that because you have these um, phenomena that are always very closely linked, having to do with the trickster, that facilitates the paranormal, I believe, um, that you're not hoaxes are kind of an intimate part of the phenomenon, they kind of arise as part of the paranormal, like like synchronicities, right? Um, anyway, so one of the things that he talks about is liminality. And uh, this came from a an anthropologist. He wrote a book called The Rites of Passage in, I think, 1909. And Rites of Passage are basically what you would think. It's something where a human being as an individual is uh, going through a transition from one role in society or state to another, and then the community around them has to acknowledge or uh, deal with um, somehow this new state. So puberty is the classic one. Um, as far as the paranormal goes, because everyone knows that, uh, you know, there's this whole, uh, well, it's a stereotype because it's been observed a bazillion times. Many times a, a focus of a poltergeist infestation will be a pubescent uh, human being. Um, and the idea here is that you're going from being a child to being an adult. But as we all know, for example, in our society, like many others, it really doesn't happen all at once, right? You can't just go from being, you know, a little scrawny eight-year-old to being some 18-year-old big guy with a beard and all this. I mean, your body has to develop. And so it's this process and a period in which your role is a little bit in flux. Um, so he's found that there are, uh, well, in the article I wrote on Liminality 101, it's kind of a, a uh, I don't want to say, a fluid concept to get your mind around, uh, especially in Hansen's book, because he really gets into the nitty gritty of all the ins and outs of 
areas that are liminal. For example, if you're starting a new job, ending one, if you're moving house, if you're traveling. But um, if you go back to rites of passage, which is like the basic liminal uh, transition periods for human beings, it's going to be birth, like you didn't exist independently, now you do. Puberty, you're going from childhood to adulthood. Uh, Death, um, obviously, (laughs) I would hope. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, marriage and either the beginning or an end of a marriage would be a liminal state. If you've just been like a boring married person for 10 years, then that's a stable period. It's not transitional. Um, So if you're beginning to look at liminality and how it relates to the paranormal, I would say focus on those kind of four liminal states. And marriage is important because... um, I think I've seen a lot, especially with uh, poltergeist infestations, people tend, and uh, also uh, ghost infestations, a lot of paranormal researchers researchers will focus on the physical uh, changes that are happening in the person who is the focus of the outbreak and say that this is at the root of uh, what's causing this uh, paranormal occurrence. Now, there may or may not be something to that, but... You know, the like weddings, for example, are a liminal period, especially the engagement, right, before you get married. No one is having to, for example, grow another head to become married or something, right? You don't have to undergo any physical changes. Yet you can have um, these paranormal experiences. Who's that guy? He's like a super big skeptic, and he got married a few years ago and wrote about how his now wife's grandfather was not able to be there at the wedding because he was dead. A pretty good excuse. And (laughs) (laughs) we'll accept it this once. But um, she had had his old radio, the grandfather's old radio, which hadn't worked for a bazillion years, but it was like a sentimental item there. So he, I guess at one point during the day, they had a moment to themselves. They were in the room with this radio and the radio started playing like some romantic old song that was a favorite of her grandfather's, that type of thing. And it it played a couple times more that day, but it's never played anything since. So it was like this very, uh, you know, classic kind of communication beyond the grave type experience that happened during a wedding. Um, So, you know, there it's not, how I want to say, I, think it's important to look at marriage in addition to all these things so that we don't get just focused on the fact that an individual is going uh, undergoing a physical change, but the whole idea that the community is having to um, deal with this change, that, that you know we've lost this person, we're all grieving, or how are we going to deal with this irresponsible teenager who wants to drive when they can't even pick up their socks on the floor or whatever it is, right? So um, I don't know if that's helpful. No, I think it is because I think uh, the in in your writing you talk about the acknowledgement of it's the acknowledgement of the community of mm-hmm. of the change that you're going through as well, and I think that's why horror movies are so great when they're based around like a prom, like a prom is a big <laughs> rite of passage night. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's for when like kids are supposed to be becoming like kind of, at least that's how it was always sold to me when I was a kid. Like prom is a big rite of passage for you guys, blah, blah, blah. It's a grown up thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very grown up thing. So I do think that there, there, 
there's something really fascinating about the idea of the, the of liminality or of <laughs> like the the psychological, the emotional, the energy, uh, the thoughtful change. Also, mm-hmm. in conjunction with physical change, that they're both yeah. they're they're like equal parts of the same pie, you know. Mm-hmm. Just maybe cut down the middle, or maybe there's a third piece that we're not even that I'm not even aware of as well. You know what I mean? But um, mm-hmm. when we are going through transitions, I think the interesting thing about uh, the tran- transitory is that the word mm-hmm. transitory state mm-hmm. is. All these other times, like you said, you said if you're in a 10-year, like, stable marriage, or, like, you know, that's a stable period. Mm-hmm. And so when something is is not stable, and that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's, that doesn't mean it has to have a negative connotation. Because um, I, I would say that the ground is not stable when a, a, a root or when a seed has sp- sprouted you know that like exactly, it causes instability yeah. in the soil for mm-hmm. for the the tree or the flower or whatever to break through mm-hmm. um, instability therefore in that kind of way promotes or makes possible uh it's like an explosion of energy almost of some kind or energy Actually, can be more wild there that's funny because my um uh, meditation teacher leslie temple thurston um would talk about manipulating this whole principle. Uh, Hansen also talks about anti-structure, which is very related to liminality, but it has to do with more a property of groups or individuals where you don't ha- where uh, things are unpredictable and um, up in the air. For example, if you don't have a set uh, work schedule, that type of thing. Um, but she would explicitly talk about not letting your routine become too stable because it, it kind of solidifies things and takes this energy that you could be using to uh, boost your spiritual progress and insight and kind of solidifying it and making it not as available to you. So there's different ways of um, playing with these concepts on an esoteric level. Um, the other thing I'm thinking of in regards to you, I mean, there's a, a lot of times the concept of, uh, you know, seven uh, uh, esoteric levels of uh, manifestation, right, from the, the basest uh, uh, physical up through the uh, realm of pure consciousness. Um, so let's say if you're an esotericist, an occultist and you're wanting to make changes in the material world, um, then as you said, you know, you have to bring it from these very rarefied levels down. And, uh, so in that case you would be lots of times if you're going to create like a talisman or you write out your intention, it's not that this uh, piece of paper is anything special, but the idea is that you are, uh, taking this idea and you're, you're making a mark in the physical you're making uh, changes in the physical and that can help to uh, bring your intention through um, you know it's always hardest to get like those first results even if they're kind of measly which gets us back to hoaxes and tricksing uh, tricksing tricking um, because <laughs> tricksing might be like uh, you know that's like that might be a uh, you know like a, a person of the night kind of uh, <laughs> you know, oh, I just well. imagine like <laughs> I imagine like fishnet pantyhose. And <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! But um, for example, a lot of shamans, um, when you're trying, or uh, for in the classical like Victorian seance, that's the type of thing. Um, lots of times, it's hard to get that first manifestation going. So if you hook something a little bit and get everyone into it, 
um, then the real stuff can, it often opens the door for the uh, actual manifestations to come through. I was thinking about that in Hellier because now I, I have to uh, make a confession. I watched a lot of it, but a lot of it, I would keep watching it in bed before I go to sleep. So I just fall asleep. So I haven't seen, there's a lot that I haven't seen. <laughs> but that guy in the beginning, I forget which one, I think it's Carl. Yeah, Carl he's, Pfeiffer. I, yeah. So he's talking about how um, he was listening to uh, uh, Greg talk about the Kentucky Goblins on a podcast. And then uh, the uh, Greg's um, tweet account, one of them, tweeted out that same article to him. And he was like, wow, I was just listening to this podcast. And now this article about the same thing is here. And it really caught his attention. Now, if I was making a program to randomly tweet out articles, I would say, hmm, what have we had people searching for? Have they been searching on any of the uh, terms associated with any of our articles? Have they been, you know, that type of thing? And then I would send that out, right? Because always it's going to get someone's attention more. I don't know if that's what happened there. But the fact is, the car, it really caught Carl's attention. He had that laser-like focus. And then, you know, they started having a lot more and more profound uh, experiences. So... I think there you see uh, attention, the role of attention in these type of things. And also, I wonder, even if it was uh, something that was created by an algorithm, as opposed to like a, quote, real, unquote, synchronicity, I don't know what that would be anyway. Um, the fact is that I kind of wonder if he recognized that so strongly because a certain part of him knew that this experience was coming through in his future. So... I do wonder about that as well, because I think the Global Consciousness Project with Dr. Roger Nelson um, <laughs> is a good example where they where they talk about the like the spike or the anomalies in the random number generators before yeah. like a, a major world event, uh, measuring <laughs> empathy and or other just consciousness. Um, it's before the event. It's like slightly before the event happens is when the spike starts. Yep. So what we have here is we have our consciousness is like we were talking about earlier, like when you saw the, the you know, the the dead dog is the cube. Um, yeah. yeah, it's like your it's like our our spiritual, mental or consciousness side, whatever we want to call it, our energy is ahead of us uh, when it comes to the processing of mm. the details of that thing. And so I think that is like a, a fascinating idea that like we could be ahead of ourselves. Uh, although I've never considered the hoax as being kind of like the thing that uh, it's like the starters gun at a, a track meet. Mm -hmm. it's, it's what gets the race started. I've never thought of it as being potentially, you know, something that could be beneficial um, uh, in that way, the, in the way you're framing it, uh, which is interesting. It, it is interesting to consider that. Yeah, I mean, the hoaxes, they can be tremendously detrimental, but I think that uh, our Lord and Savior, George P. Hansen, has really identified something there that it's, it is, it has, uh, it's enmeshed in the whole phenomena, and so we have to be able to look at it as opposed to more just like, no, that's terrible, people just shouldn't do that. I mean, there, there's been incidents where uh well, again, in poltergeist infestations where, uh, especially if like young children will be the focus or something. And sometimes they will be found hoaxing things 
but it's almost like they don't realize that they've done it. Like they'll just be like really kind of uh, not even trying to hide it, throwing a rock or something like that. The other thing, uh, another thing that he talks about in uh, his book, uh, Hansen does, is that uh, in again in pol- poltergeist infestations, uh, and again we see how this liminality is involving a like a, a community, a family, a neighborhood. He says if it starts to the um, incidents start to attract attention of researchers or the media, that type of thing, it may just be too much of a strain on the family because lots of times, you know, there'll have been uh, psychological or emotional things going on in the family which caused this. St- to erupt in the first place. And he thinks that in certain instances that they will deliberately make a hoax that is easily found out. So everyone can say, okay, there's nothing here. It's all bullshit and leave them alone so they can try and get their lives together again with some degree of privacy. So, and in that instance, I mean, a hoax may be the best way of um, that family uh, getting to a better place, even though it undermines the, uh, you know, people thinking that there really is something to the paranormal in the larger society. So it's, yeah, it's, it's complex. Yeah. It could definitely take the power away from it uh, mm-hmm. in, in that regard, at least from the outside, you know, all the people from the outside looking in. That's probably yeah. the best way to get people to leave you alone uh, mm-hmm. is to make everyone think it's BS. Uh, that's for sure. I mean, that that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it's all very fascinating stuff, uh, especially the... You know the especially when we're talking about PK or the uh, you know psychokinesis uh, mm-hmm. and and that's uh, and and what the relationship between psychokinesis and poltergeist phenomenon may or may not be. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, you know hopefully it's it's coming actually. Uh, I mean I don't know when this interview will go up, but um, mm-hmm. as of you and I talking right now, tomorrow morning is when I'm supposed to talk to uh, Dr. Jeffrey Mishlove. So um, really? we'll, we'll get, uh, hopefully we'll, you know, we'll get to the bottom of some of uh, his thoughts on, on that, especially the with the famous, oh yeah, gosh, with the PK so... man. I have oh. ordered George Hansen's book and oh, after, dang. after that arrives and I have time to read it, I, I, I definitely want to try to reach out to uh, George and, you know, talk to him, but not until after I read his book. But um, I think, yeah. Um, this is all really fascinating stuff, and I don't even think we covered like, you know, one fifth of the potential uh, things we could be discussing. Because uh, your research, I mean, you seem like really embroiled in all of this stuff. So it's <laughs> it's uh, very it's it's fun to chat with you. Um, so I think we should uh, you know put a bow on it here for today. But let's okay. uh, let's remind people where they can find you on the internet and they can they can uh, read a lot of your your writings on this because you seem to be updating your site pretty regularly. I'm trying to. Um, it's uh, called Ghost Dog is a Mystery Box, and it's Stephanie Quick on WordPress. I think you'll find me that way. I'm also on uh, Facebook and on Twitter at Wandering Britches without a G. So it's like wandering britches, but wandering britches. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ghost Dog is a Mystery Box makes a lot more sense if like someone was to uh, come to the site and... Uh, you know, not have heard the the story of being on the walk, <laughs> but now like, oh, okay, oh yeah, the, the ghost dog is a mystery box. Yeah, it's a, it was this cute little biscuit. Yeah, little yeah. biscuit. Um, well, Stephanie, this was uh, this was fun. Um, I recommend people check it out. Uh, check out the site. I mean, you can read it. It's a really interesting take on the Claudia Ackley Bigfoot 
um, and tying in the different phenomena. Um, so I admire her quite quite a lot. And actually, people they they say that oh, you can't have a trained observer, but I, I actually think her observational skills are really good. I wouldn't be surprised if that goes down to her uh, working in the uh, medical field. But yeah, I was I was really excited to hear uh, her experiences. Yeah, and I'll be uh, actually going to be uh, I'm going to be in a couple weekends or a week from this coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just over a week, I'm heading back out to Lake Arrowhead, and we're going to do some uh, Bigfoot looking. And uh, I'm going to talk with uh, Ed Brown, who's a prominent figure in the Bigfoot community for years as a, a really well-respected researcher. So uh, we're going to get some more. Uh, we're going to get some more Bigfoot action out there in Lake Arrowhead, and then. Uh, yeah, so, yeah so it'll be fun and I'll keep you posted uh, uh, as of Yay. tomorrow night I'm going to be uh, you know actually doing an investigation looking for trolls or gnomes or whatever they might be at my friend Angela's place um, so I'll, I'll keep you posted on that uh, as well um, well cool so uh, make sure you check out uh, you know the sites and find Stephanie online um, and uh, this was a this was a great chat and uh, I hope to do it again Oh, yeah, I'd love to. It's a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So thanks for taking the time, and uh, we'll, we'll chat soon. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another experience of Me and Paranormal You. That was a really fun chat with my buddy Stephanie Quick. So make sure you check out her website, stephaniequick.home.blog, and check out all the different readings and analysis she has uh, listed there or on her on her blog site. Uh, about all these different paranormal paranormal phenomena and the way they tie into each other. It's really fascinating, interesting, well thought out, uh, and and very fun to read stuff. So check that out. You can check me out on the internet at ryansingercomedy.com. I've got my album still available for free, so you can download it there. Rising on Instagram, Rising on Twitter. You know, find me there, me and Paranormal You on Instagram as well. So give a follow on all those places. Please rate and review the the Mindcast on iTunes. Just uh, go click over there, find it on iTunes, give five stars, maybe write something nice, uh, or just do at least five stars on there. That would really help me out. I appreciate you very much. i got the new podcast that is probably launched by now. I'm not exactly sure. Um, where This is where the magic happens is the name of the new podcast with my buddy Angela Lovell. Um, we got some fun, fun, wild stuff coming to you. And I... Uh, and, as always, thank you to the patrons, patreon.com backslash Ryan Singer, $1 tier, $3 tier. The $3 tier gets you everything from here on out. So I've changed the tier system in case you didn't realize that. Um, exclusive video of paranormal investigations that I'm doing. Uh, as you know, I'm always out there, you know, trying to investigate something. So, um, yeah, more and more fun stuff coming your way uh, on the Mindcast to five more years. I'm excited. Uh, you know, we recently had our five year anniversary, our birthday. And so, uh, man, this has been such a fun, wild ride. Got to meet and talk to so many interesting, fascinating, awesome people. And I look forward to, to continuing to do so. And thank you so much for everybody who reaches out and lets me know that they enjoy the program. I do it for you. So, yeah, I'm glad that you enjoy it. So I love you. I hope you love yourself. And if I don't see you at a comedy show sometime in Los Angeles or on the road, I hope to see you at the watering hole on the astral plane.